0: Women tend to be really conservative and risk averse, especially when it comes to investing. So they don't understand it. So they just back off from it. So I think that women aren't educated enough around investing and, you know, how to form an investment strategy so they feel more comfortable with it. And I think because of that, we just tend to not invest, not have our, our money in the market as much as men or as long as men. So when it comes time to retirement, we don't have as much saved sometimes.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Ageless Conversations podcast. I'm Tamika from TamekaMcTeer.com. If you are new to the podcast, here's what you need to know. We are a community that believes that there is no age that defines the life of every woman. So every week you'll hear a conversation that I know will inspire you to change your mindset, gain confidence, and live a lifestyle thriving, not determined by age. Joining us today on the podcast, we have April Stewart, also known as April the Money Coach, also known as Millionaire Money Coach because she teaches high-achieving women how to use their salaries to build a million-dollar net worth. Her passion for personal finance was because right after becoming a new homeowner and buying her first car, she lost her job. She had no savings and no one to turn to for help. So she began to study personal finance so that she could transform her situation and empower women to take control of their own finances so that they would not find themselves in a situation like she did. April believes that you can use your income to build incredible wealth. There's a path to wealth for nine to five employees, just as there is for entrepreneurs, real estate investors, and stock traders. April, welcome to the Ageless Conversations podcast. Hey, Tamika. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Of course. Glad to have you here. April, you know that you and I kicked off earlier this year in Atlanta. I actually had the the chance to really meet face-to-face. We connected online, but I actually had the chance to meet you earlier this year in Atlanta. So that was a lot of fun to just really see somebody on social media, but then get a chance to connect with them personally. Yeah, it was a great weekend. Yeah, very fun weekend. And before I got a chance to know you, and I'm sure the listeners will get an opportunity to learn more about you and hear more of that story. One of the things why I started following you is because, you know, your whole April the Money Coach, Million Dollar culture, whatever. And I was like always intrigued by that title, but I never uh-huh. really knew the story until I actually, you know, got a chance to you know, get to get a chance to know you. So that's one of the reasons mainly why I wanted to have you here. Finances is one of the pillars that we focus on here on this podcast. And so I knew after hearing your story that you would be phenomenal for our guests, especially just a lot of the little things that you talk about. I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, she'd be perfect. So you know, I had to awesome. go ahead and extend that invite for you to be here, April. So before we get into the conversation and listeners get an opportunity to just learn more about you and what you do specifically, I love it if you could just kick us off and tell us more about your own personal finance journey.
0: So I came from a, I mean, I came from a family where I wasn't taught about money, what to do with money. I basically learned about money on my own, but from my family, I would say I learned about what not to do with money. So I would say in a sense, I mean, I think that was a good example as well, because I was able to see, you know, that I wanted something different for myself. Yes. So in going to college, I was given, you know, advice from family members to get a credit card so I could begin to establish my credit. But fortunately, I listened to my own, you know, what was my own gut. And I thought, I don't have a job. Like I don't have income. If I get this credit card and buy stuff on it. I don't have a way to pay for it. So I didn't take that advice. But once I got out of college and had to, you know, got, got my job and started to get an income, I was like, but I do need to know what to do with money, not just what not to do, but I need to know what to do with it. And so I just began to read books. I read books. This predates podcasts. So I would listen to like radio interviews, TV shows and stuff. I just wanted to know like what do the quote unquote financial rock stars know about money that I don't? So I just began to study.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love that. A couple of things that you've mentioned is one, realizing and taking in some of the information that you receive from your family and them telling you what or what not to do with credit. And then you using your own tuition. And I believe that that's something that still plays and it's still very vital in people making their financial decisions today is what is that intuition telling you? Because so many people will know or get the feeling that Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be doing that or that's not the right thing to do. However, they continue to still move forward with that. And so as you went throughout college, you know, you had this burning desire to continue to learn more. And so you you found yourself diving into books and learning things like that. And I know, obviously, because I heard your story and I know more about your story, but you also became a homeowner at a very young age as well. If you could share that backstory with our listeners.
0: So fresh out of college, came back home and two of my good friends from high school, we talked about moving in together because after college, I went back home to my parents. We talked about getting a place together and they were like, well, instead of all of us just paying rent to someone, why doesn't someone buy? And then we'll just help the person with the mortgage. So somehow I became the person that it was decided it was going to buy the house. So I started to go through the process of buying the house and one by one, my roommates backed out on me. So one of them a month before closing said that she was no longer going to move. And then the other one, I went to close and got the keys, called her and said, you know, hey, you know, you can come to move in. And she let me know that she wasn't going to move in either. So I was stunned to say the least. I'm like, I bought this house because this was our agreement. Because, you know, you guys said that, you know, we should, someone should be buying a, have a mortgage. So yeah. And then to top it all off, a month after buying, well, I would say two weeks after buying my house, I bought my first car. Cause you know, you told not to buy any large purchases. It could affect, you know, getting a house. I bought my first car and then two weeks after that, I lost my job. So there I stood, you know, a new homeowner, new car owner, no roommates, <laughs> all of that. So no job now. So, yeah, which is a very, very scary place. But, you know, God was with me <laughs> through yeah. that time, you know, just without me knowing his hand has just been in awe. So I definitely made it through, but it was it was a tough period.
1: Yeah, you started out with all the new new and then followed that with a no job. What were some of your initial thoughts or whatever? What fears did you have seeing your friends back out one by one, not only getting the new debt of home ownership, but you also purchased a car and then getting that notice that you were losing your job just two weeks after?
0: Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, I didn't come. I don't come from a family with money, so I had no one to turn to. It wasn't like I could say, mom or dad, can you help me with a mortgage for this month? And so it was just, it was really tough. I immediately, I didn't have much in savings at the time. So I immediately applied for unemployment, excuse me, unemployment, and then I just started job hunting. So I think I had unemployment maybe for a month or two to hold me over while I found a job. And I just took whatever I could get to just get some income coming in, so To that job and then continued to to search because I knew that that's not, it wasn't what I wanted to do, but I needed something. So I, I continued to search. And then I, after that, found a job that pretty much became a career, like the career path I stayed in for over a decade.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Even though reality and life at that time was definitely happening for you, life was definitely life. And you still didn't let that discourage you in a way where you still you didn't look for employment. You did have enough courage to go ahead and apply for the unemployment, but still it put you on a path to begin your career, in which you just stated, put you on a path to building something for over a decade. Um, so I'd love for you to talk more about that. And before you even share that, I know that I recently saw on social media, April, where you shared that this same home that you purchased that you just talked about, that now you own that home free and clear. Share, share, share a little bit more about the audience with that and give more specifics around, um, how long did it take you? Obviously it wasn't a 30 year mortgage. And if it was, that's fine, but you clearly paid it off before that. So if mm-hmm. you don't mind. Share with the listeners a little bit about how that happened for you.
0: Yeah, so I did take out a thirty year mortgage initially and and over time, I don't remember when, but I know at some point I did refinance to a fifteen year mortgage. But that was that was down the line because of course, you know, the shorter your mortgage term, the higher your payment. So You know, I was just starting out. I was young. Of course, I couldn't take on a super high payment, but just down the line, I figured that I wanted to accelerate my payoff some. So I did go ahead and refinance it into a 15 year. But basically, I paid off my house in 20 years. So, you know, started out, set out at, of course, taking a 30 year mortgage. I got it done in 20 years. So 10 years early. And it really was just a matter of me. Stewarding my resources well. So, like, really managing the income that I was making to be able to have surplus to do things with, to, you know, achieve financial goals with. So, you know, things I've done along the line in terms of like investing, you know, paying off debt, paying off extra on my mortgage. And I didn't start out honestly with some big grandiose mortgage payoff, extra mortgage payoff plan. It just kind of happened with time. Like, As certain things over the years changed with my finances, and maybe I was able to free up money in certain places, I just thought, okay, what's the smartest thing to do with this money now? So I got to a point where it was like I had enough breathing room. So I was like, okay, I can start throwing extra at my mortgage. And it took different forms. Like sometimes it just be maybe a couple hundred extra a month. And then I got to a point where each year I would try to, in December, always make two mortgage payments. So I did that. I made that a habit. Two mortgage payments each December, you know, no matter what. And then, you know, some months as I could, I would pay extra my mortgage. And it, it just accumulated with time. Like, and before I know it, knew it. Once I saw that I was kind of getting in sight of paying it off, then I set a goal, but I never really set like a target date ahead of time. But I was like, oh, okay, I'm about two or three or four years out. Like, let me set a goal. And I think I wanted it to, to be done by, I think, last, January so I'm like a year off from my goal but still you know yeah still a great accomplishment but yeah I think I wanted to be done January of 2021 so I got it done in November of 2022 but but yeah definitely still accelerated it and just just blessed to be done with that now. Yeah, um.
1: that's awesome. Did you take any time to celebrate? I know sometimes we can have big <laughs> wins in our life and big or small things are worth celebrating. And an accomplishment is such as that. I would say it's worth a celebration. Did you do anything for yourself?
0: No, I have not yet. Hopefully I can at some point. Originally, when I had that December date, I mean, so me, the January date of last year, my plan was to have a party and I was going to have like a mortgage free party. But, but no, I mean, my life is a little different now. Now I'm a full time entrepreneur. So just things are a little different for me. My landscape is different, but I will, you know, celebrate it at some point.
1: Sure. And so, April, let's fast forward. Congratulations again to you on that huge achievement. Yeah. But let's let's fast forward to where you are now, who people know you as. I know that you say that you accidentally became a millionaire in your 30s. So not only have you paid off a home, but you also become a millionaire. April, talk to the audience more about um, how that happened for you, especially when you say accidentally.
0: Yes, I call it accidental because again, so my story is a, it's quite, it's quite funny. Like, I mean, it sounds, it can sound like, I wasn't being intentional. I would say I wasn't being intentional about goals. Like I was never doing what I was doing for like the cloud or the status of being a millionaire. What I would say that I've really done is just do smart things with my money over time. So I definitely was intentional about, you know, how I was managing my money, how I was spending it, how I was investing it, all of those things. And of course, I mean, a natural effect you would think would what- I'm doing it to build wealth. So of course, a point in in building wealth is becoming a millionaire, but it was never that I like set out for that specific target. So I say accidental because I wasn't, you know, setting out for that. It happened. And then I was actually told by someone, like, it's not something that I realized. So I did all of my investing on my own using an investment strategy. I never worked with an investment advisor. And because I don't believe that you have to, it just depends on your situation. You know, you can work with a, you know, have an investment strategy, so that's what I was doing, but I felt like I got myself to a point where maybe you know someone else can come in and give me some like fresh eyes, some outside eyes, and you know maybe help me to figure out some additional things I can do. So I started to look at financial advisors, and then sitting down with one, he crunched my numbers and told me that I was a millionaire. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> like I didn't know because I never really sat down. I, I didn't know how to calculate net worth at the time, so this was like. Twenty When was this? 2016? Somewhere between 2016 and 2018, if I'm fuzzy on the numbers. But at that point, I'd never calculated net worth. I didn't know what that calculation was. So when he did that and told me that, and I was like, oh, okay. And uh, yeah, so that's why I say accidental, because it wasn't like a specific milestone mm-hmm. I was setting out for. It was just a result of, you know, doing smart things with money over time.
1: Yeah. And when you received that, when he you know, made you aware of that, what were you feeling and at that time? Had you already become an entrepreneur or were you still working in corporate?
0: Yeah, I was still working in corporate. So I didn't become an entrepreneur per se until like in the late 2019, 2020 time frame is when I kind of launched my business. But then I didn't go full self-employed until the 2021. So I'm a year self-employed now, but but yeah, entrepreneurship is just in the past 3 years for me. So prior to that, everything that I've built in terms of like building wealth has been through my corporate salary. Right. And that's why I target and work with the specific audience I do because I want to show them the power of what you have in your salary, your income. Cuz a lot of times when we think about building wealth and all of that there's a lot of focus on, oh, people who are entrepreneurs and
1: mm-hmm. business owners because you know your income, quote unquote, especially when you drop the mil- the word millionaire, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> or million dollar or millionaire. People right. often associate like you can only get it. That's what they think between one of those two things. Yeah,
0: yeah. Being a business owner, being an entrepreneur, being a real estate investor, yeah. being a stock trader, like those are the common things I hear. Yeah, yeah. and I'm like. I was none of those things. Like there's a path for us too as corporate employees, you know, managing our salaries, stewarding it well. So I'm passionate to show that those people that you're not forgotten. There's a path for you. And you there's a lot of power in the income that you make. The salary yeah. that you make.
1: Yeah, I love that. And April, you talk a lot about understanding the difference between managing your money and multiplying it. Can you give some one way versus the other way for the listeners? So I would
0: say Definitely managing money leads to multiplying it so the the formula that I tend to talk about or that we hear a lot is you know you make making, managing and multiplying. and I think a lot of people tend to make focus on making money, but that's not really really honestly with the the key part of the equation is key part of the equation is managing your money mm-hmm. so that you can multiply it so you know no matter how much you make you could spend everything you make you can make a right. whole lot of money and spend exactly. it all yeah so the key is of course if you want to make a whole lot of money that's great but take that whole lot of money you're making manage it well manage it well so that you can multiply it so managing it is um you know another way of calling maybe stewardship so how are you spending, you know, what's your debt profile look like? You know, are you saving for, you know, emergencies so that, you know, if life gotches, life is going to happen when those things happen, you have something to fall back on and you're not then stressed out and run into debt and all of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are like some key aspects of managing. And then, of course, multiplying. Um, you know how are you investing it? And there's you know many different ways to invest. For me, it's long-term investing in the stock market. You know, for other people, maybe different ways. But but then yeah, because you can't save your way to wealth. So, so yes, we can manage it and we can save it and all of that. That's great. You do need something in savings, but the majority of your money can't just be sitting in savings. You have actually have to take it somewhere where it can multiply. And believe it or not, I actually had someone that I talked to that had six figures in savings, just a savings account, because she felt like the stock market was gambling. She was like, I'm not putting my money in there for them to play with my money. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, girl, you are losing money. So okay,
1: big time. I mean, I'm glad
0: she wasn't just spending it all. She at least right. had saved it, but yeah. Yeah, she had six figures saved. Wow. In the savings
1: account. Yeah. yeah. And so that brings us to the next question I wanted to ask you. What are some myths that you'd like to debunk when it comes to investing that we as women or some of the things with the women that you're working with that you get an opportunity to work with and just being out in the field or seeing things on social media, what are some of the myths that you'd like to debunk or some things that people believe that you would just say no?
0: Yeah. So a lot of times people think that investing is gambling, that it's, that it's complicated, like that it's hard to understand, that it's a lot of time for the rich. And I would say in terms of gambling, so gambling is just well, of course we know what gambling is in terms of like, you know, casinos and all that. But investing is not gambling because it's a yes, there's risk involved. There's risk involved in so many things, but it's it's calculated risk for one. And then it's a risk that you know what you're getting into. You should never invest in anything you don't understand. Mm-hmm. So you know what you're getting into. You know what you can expect. If you study or if you learn about the market, if you learn about, you know, the trends of the market, like you know what you can expect. So I don't think it's well, I know it's not gambling, but I don't even think it's even that super risky either. Because you you know what you can expect for the most part. It's not complicated. People can make it complicated if you listen to all the talking heads, and if you're trying to trace every chase, every trend that's out. You know, yeah. Crypto, NFT, all this stuff. Like, if you're trying to do all the things, yes, it can be complicated, but. I take a simple path to investing. I I do you know long term buy and hold investing. I don't do you know stock trading, jumping in and out. Like all of that stuff is complicated. That's a whole special skill set. I mean, whether or not it's profitable, I mean for a lot of people it tends not to be. You got to be very skilled. It's, it's very it's a very high skill area. Warren Buffett is a buy and hold. One of the most successful investors. Investors. He's a buy and hold investor. Now I'm just not trying to spend all my money like. Watching stocks and all that, like I want to put my money in and let it do its thing over time. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, how I've been able to build wealth. Just let it ride the market, ride the wave and do its thing over time. And then, of course, it's not just for the rich. I mean, how do you become rich if you don't invest? So it's not only rich people that can invest, like everyone, anything you have, no matter where you start, you can start. And that's an important thing. Like time is going to pass anyway. Why not let that time pass with your money invested in something growing? Sure.
1: Love it. And then I saw something that you posted and I was like, oh, I love that. And I'd love for you to just talk to us about why women are 80% more likely than men to be impoverished at retirement.
0: So there are a lot of factors that go into, you know, women, I mean, our, our incomes or our financial situation. So, I mean, there's the fact that there's a pay gap. So women tend to earn less than men. There's also things like women are the main caregivers so sometimes women have to leave the workforce mm-hmm. early or take a, a a large gap for care of children or parents or elderly or anything so our time in the workforce can be a bit different than men's one you know we get paid less than men in most cases and then also women tend to be really Conservative and risk averse, especially when it comes to investing, so they don't understand it. so they just back off from it. they bury mm-hmm. their heads and sand like the woman I told you at six figures saved because she was just like investing is that's playing with her money. So I think that women aren't educated enough around investing and you know how to and so form an investment strategy so they feel more comfortable with it. And I think because of that, we just tend to not invest, not have our our money in the market as much as men or as long as men. So when it comes time to retirement, we don't have as much saved sometimes. Yeah. But yeah.
1: Yeah. When I saw you post that, those were all some of the things that I instantly came, came to mind for me without even reading through what you had shared about it. I started thinking about those very same things. And I was like, I guarantee like that's the reason why that that's a high number. Mm Uh-huh. You know, I'm like 80%.
0: Yeah. And I mean, but quite honestly, I mean, our numbers at retirement as a whole as Americans is very low, like our net worths overall for most mm-hmm. people are just very mm-hmm. low. Like so. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a, a shocking number, but and unfortunate that it's that high for women. But I think just overall, we're as a country, we tend not to be where we should be when it comes to that time of life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What's some common ways that you see when you get to work with these women one-on-one? What's some of the common ways you see that they're losing money each month? I know that you do a lot of talking about it's money that people don't even recognize or realize that they're losing. What's some of the common ways that you see it happening? So just, just for one, not
0: having insight into your money. So a lot of times your money is just a black hole to you. You don't even know what you're doing with it. There's no clarity around it, how you're spending it. So so that's one thing. And I think once people just see everything laid out on paper, everything laid out in front of them, like it just really opens up things for them. So in terms of specifics of what, you know, maybe ways they're wasting money or big areas I see for the women I'm talking to is largely, you know, this culture now of like everything is so convenient, accessible. so you know ordering everything like the uber eats all the food DoorDash, and all that type of stuff having everything come to you because you're paying a lot of fees um, Mm -hmm. on top of of course the food itself but you're paying a lot of fees on delivery and tips and all that so a lot of times like especially earlier in this year woman i was talking to during the pandemic time is like so much of their income is going towards um food because the convenience and then also you know just the stressors and they don't So like cooking and everything, like they, you know, still got to take care of the family. That's one area. And subscriptions is another area. Like we just have all these subscriptions that we don't even know that we have. Mm -hmm. So until we just really look at it and list it all out and see, like money is just going each month and we don't even know the things that we're subscribed to. And student loan, of course. Student loan is a huge, huge, huge part of people's spending plans so just the the issue we have as a country with how expensive education is and all of that but but yeah I would say those are the top three areas where like that are really sucking people's income and tying it up
1: yeah and as it relates to the first two things that you mentioned one being the spending or fees that people receive from uber eats and things like that can I tell you fun fact I've never purchased I've never ordered uber or DoorDash or no? Oh
0: that, wow! That,
1: that's the reason. Let me let me rephrase how I say that I've never used it. And years ago, I shouldn't even say years ago, but pre-pandemic when I did go into the office, so I was very diligent about taking my lunch because mm-hmm. yeah, I I don't like. I cannot look at my money and know that I spent a ton of money buying food and stuff like that every day. So I'm definitely was like a meal prep, take my food into the office for lunch. And uh-huh. if I bought, it would be once a week or once every two weeks. But my coworkers would do Uber Eats, you know, or DoorDash or whatever. And so the only way I guess I could say air quotes that I participate in it, because I would be like, oh, order me something with yours. But for uh-huh. me to say that I've received anything at my own home or somebody else's establishment. Nope.
0: Wow, well, you are a rarity.
1: <laughs> Plus, the whole thing about like I don't know outside of outside of pizza, which I don't even order, which I don't even eat from any of the big chain places. So, where I get pizza from today, they don't even deliver. But outside mm-hmm. of ever receiving like pizza deliveries, I can't get with. I don't even like that whole food delivery thing. <laughs>
0: mm. Okay, yeah, no, I don't do it a lot because you know those fees and like I just can't bring myself. I actually have sometimes been like, I'm just gonna drive to that yeah. place and pick up my food.
1: I can't just the the one time I was gonna do it, I was like I was like, Hold on, I'm paying more in fees than for the meal I'm trying to buy? Like yeah. I, I'm not that person. I'm not about to pay twenty dollars for something that's really eight. No thank you.
0: Yeah, I Same. I I just can't. I can't bring myself to do it. And I remember I was in a relationship and like, you know, my ex-boyfriend was just like, you know, just chill out. You can. So I was like, I'll let myself relax sometimes and do it. But like, it could not be a habit because. Yeah.
1: That just don't gel with me. Me either. But what I was going to say before I share that my own little story with you, I was going to ask you how receptive do you find the women are to cut back on maybe their Uber Eats or DoorDash spending and maybe decreasing the amount of subscriptions that they subscribe to? So they are receptive to that, especially when they see the numbers. Some will cut
0: back Some some cut back significantly, but some will cut back some, especially if they're parents of young children. They're like, you know, I can't, you know, just totally cut it out or I can't, you know, Mm -hmm. I I still need that convenience to a degree. But but yeah, they are, for the most part, receptive to cutting down there.
1: Yeah. Okay, that's good. April, when you think about like 2023 kicking off the new year, what are some things that people can do to kick off their new year without? the financial regrets or kick off their new year in a a better financial stance than maybe they ended their year. Like they say, 2023 is the year that I'm definitely going to get better with my money, that I'll know where it's going, that I will come to December 2023 and have less debt than what I started the year at. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I mean, we're
1: in the thick of it now, but I would say
0: that, you know, what you do in terms of holiday spending, like that matters. That really sets up your year, maybe even more than you realize. So it's just like not taking on that extra and unnecessary debt during this holiday season is really important. So just being intentional about how you're spending. I mean, you, you know, most people may have done all most or all of their holiday shopping by this point. But if you haven't, you know, whatever you still have to buy, just kind of be mindful of that. Not starting the year with that new debt. And then once you get into the new year i would say just just start fresh like give yourself a chance like i think a lot of times people just feel overwhelmed with the topic of finances they're not in the place that they want to be and they let that hinder them from like making a change and it's like why not? If you don't make a change, you're going to get more of what you've been getting. So just kind of push past that discomfort of maybe some of the disappointments and just start, like start something new, you know, just being getting intentional about your intentional about your money. So, you know, if you can set up a spending plan, get that insight, like that's really going to be a great foundation for your finances. So just getting insight for one, what you're doing with your money is the start. I mean, that's where I started my journey. It was, I started with just really knowing how I was spending my money, not guessing, not think I knew, but just really know. So I would say that's a, a great start. And then from there, you know, it's going to form decisions around what your next steps can be.
1: Yeah. And when you think about where the world is, we talk about, we know that there's been a lot of inflation with everything. And then, you know, we keep hearing the term like recession. What are some uh-huh. things to say recession proof, but embracing inflation as well? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's having a
0: plan for your money and working it. So, as a employee, which I, you know, so most of the audience is, or business owner, regardless, is still income. But you know, as an employee, I feel like so when we had times of like the pandemic or government shutdowns. I'm in DC, so a lot of our economy jobs and things are based around the government. So you had these times of quote unquote inflation or recession and all that. And of course, we all. Feel inflation because I mean, prices mm-hmm. go up.
1: Definitely. But my
0: thing is, quite honestly, I feel like you should be able to absorb it. Like, mm-hmm. it shouldn't, you know, turn your world upside down. Recessions, as long as you don't lose your job, I feel like you should be able to, like, manage these things. You should be able to, I don't know if the word is buffer, but get through these things and be okay. So, because, you know, in my corporate career, because I, you know, one, manage what I was doing with my money, but then also I wasn't exorbitant in my expenses. So I think that's another thing people need to think about. I mean, it's the income side, but then also what are you doing with your expenses? Like
1: mm-hmm.
0: stop, you know, doing the lifestyle inflation. I mean, this probably the time of year now where people are getting Christmas bonuses or if you go into the new year performance bonuses and things like that. For one, stop feeling like you have to spend it all. And then also, Don't increase your lifestyle just because you got that pay increase now Mm -hmm. or that bonus now. So kind of stop the lifestyle inflation so that you're not just paying out your money to someone else. Like every time you get money, like, oh, now I'm going to get a bigger car, a bigger Mm -hmm. mortgage. Mm -hmm. And I'm just continuing to pay my money out to other people like. Keep some of that for yourself. Like now start to focus on your financial goals, your, you know, what you need to do for yourself to keep some for yourself and then multiply it. So those are, I don't know, (laughs) I was like, I don't do that straight off the question, but I mean, that that's the advice I would, I would give. Yeah,
1: Yeah, no, that's good. Okay. April, before I let you go, I'm just going to ask you four quick questions. There's no right or wrong answer. You just respond with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. All right. The first one is describe age in four words or less.
0: What came to mind was ability, ability to live well.
1: Okay, that's fine. This one is a fill in the blank for you. My name is, and age has taught me. My name is April,
0: and age has taught me that, quite honestly, it, it's really a number. It's, it's what you do with that age that really matters. It's not the age itself. Um because you can be in different places at different ages, really about what you do with that, that time.
1: Ageless conversation. woo <laughs> <laughs> Ask for permission or ask for forgiveness? I think I'm a little more on the
0: ask for forgiveness side. I think okay. I, yeah, I think I ebbed there a little more.
1: What's your why behind it?
0: So people tend to think I'm a rule follower and all that because I'm structured. But rules have to make sense to me. So I submit to authority where I need to, but, but if something doesn't make sense, I will just do it. And if I get slapped on the hand, I'll deal with that. Because at work, when I was working, like I didn't wait for my manager or whatever, the leaders to tell me everything. I did my own thing. And I even had coworkers like, oh, we're not supposed to do that. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to do it. If you're not going to do it, that's fine for you. But I'm going to do it. And if they have a problem, we'll deal with it then. So. Yeah,
1: I love it. Comfortable silences or nonstop conversation? Comfortable silence. I love it. So I'm an
0: introvert, so I don't feel my moments with a bunch of talking. I'm not very chatter, chattery, if that's a word. Yeah. All
1: right. April, what final words do you have for our listeners and make sure you let them know where they can follow you, where they can connect with you. And if somebody's looking to work with you, how they can do that. So
0: the advice I would give is to. Get a plan for your money, get intentional about what you're doing with your money. I think it's especially important, you know, as we are dealing with high inflation, as we're dealing with, you know, recession It's definitely coming. You guys, I mean, I don't know how much you listen to famine. There are definitely things that are coming. It's not preaching doom and gloom. It's just about getting ready for what's coming. And it's more important than ever. To get intentional about around your money, to get a plan around your money, to know how you're spending it, to know how you can wisely use it. Like wisdom is is what we really want to operate in right now. So you can follow me on Instagram at April the Money Coach. That's where I'm most active. I'm also April the Money Coach on LinkedIn. So those are the two platforms that I'm um, primarily on. And on Instagram, this is a great. I have a free. It's called Free. Millionaire money checklist is free. So I have my free millionaire money checklist that you can grab on Instagram. If you just go to my link, the link in my bio, it'll say, you know, millionaire money checklist, but that's really important because it tells you the steps I took to become a millionaire. So there's like five key areas that you need to manage your money in. So it'll give you those five key areas or to give you some of the steps, like checklist things you can do within those areas. So you can see, have I done this or not? Do I need to do this? So that's a great thing for you to look at to assess your, your, you know, your road to wealth. And then also I talk about like the the powerful, like some of the key things I do to manage my money on a monthly basis. I give some of those tips in there. And then also just as you're building wealth, things to look out for. So it's a really comprehensive checklist to help you see where you are with your money so you can grab that in the link in my bio at AprilTheMoneyCoach.com or on my website, AprilTheMoneyCoach. My website is AprilTheMoneyCoach.com and there's a link to it there as well.
1: All right, April, thank you so much for being a guest here today. I enjoyed our conversation and I'm sure that the listeners will definitely be able to take something away from this conversation and make it applicable to their lives. So thank you again. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Ageless Conversations podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others or leave a rating and review. Your review really does help others find out about the podcast. As always, you can head over to my website now at TamekaMcTierre.com to sign up for my email list as well as check out the links and resources in the show notes. That's all for this episode. Talk to you all next week.